The following KQED production was produced in high definition. On May 10, 1869, in the town of Promontory, Utah, the United States changed forever. With a single hammer strike, California Governor Leland Stanford drove in the final spike, at last uniting America's east and west. The Transcontinental Railroad was finally complete, forever opening the door to California. Millions would soon make the trek. Now, more than 130 years later, California is a very different place. Where one million people once lived in Leland Stanford's day, now 38 million make their homes, and the growth continues. We grow at the rate of about five million people every 20 years. And if you look at where these five million people every 20 years are gonna live and work, they're gonna increasingly uh, organize themselves away from the traditional central cities into, into some new cities in the suburban areas. In California, the current population growth rate is equivalent to creating a new city the size of San Jose every two years. It's a problem that simply will not go away. The demand for travel is increasing. Our resources are very limited. Uh, it's very unrealistic to, be, to, to expect that we're going to double or triple the size of our airports or triple or double the size of our freeway system. So the only thing that's left is build something that has the capacity of a 12-lane freeway. For the California High Speed Rail Authority, that something is a state-of-the-art electric train system 800 miles long, going from San Francisco to Fresno to Los Angeles, with future links to Sacramento and San Diego. Going at 220 miles an hour allows us to make the door-to-door, uh, uh, -door, you know, station-to-station, downtown-to-downtown San Francisco to Los Angeles at two and a half hours. And that is, of course, much faster than an airplane and about three times as fast as an automobile. They're electric, they're very clean, they're very uh, quiet, uh, they're very comfortable, and they're extremely safe. California's high-speed rail is not a radical new idea. It's based on the same technologies that are used for high-speed rail systems in numerous locations throughout the world. It's a proven system. Japan, for example, have been running for 40 years with these trains. They've done over six billion miles without a single fatality, not one. In France, just before Christmas, they celebrated 25 years of running at 200 miles, 187 to 200 miles an hour, uh, without one single fatality. The core technologies that would be employed by the system are orders of magnitude more advanced than those used on standard speed trains. From a purely engineering construction point of view, it will be, when it's built, the biggest single infrastructure project ever built in the United States. So it's enormous. And the challenges for the civil engineer and the mechanical engineer are huge. The fate of this mega project, 15 years in the making, will be decided on November 4th when Californians vote on Proposition 1A. The $10 billion bond measure would allow for initial planning and construction on the spine of the project, the route from San Francisco to LA or Anaheim. 
The project is supported by a wide variety of backers, from the Sierra Club to Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger to the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. But it is by no means a done deal. Consider its total cost, roughly $40 billion. Critics, including the California Chamber of Commerce and the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, contend that California can't afford the project, given a state budget deficit and the national credit crisis. The Legislative Analyst's Office estimates an annual cost of $647 million for 30 years to repay the state bonds to build it. But supporters claim that about a third of the funding would come from the private sector and a third from the federal government, though none of that money is yet committed. Then there's Menlo Park and Atherton. The two peninsula cities oppose the project, concerned about the impact of widening the pre-existing Caltrain tracks and separating roadways in their communities to accommodate the new trains. But the High Speed Rail Authority notes that they've evaluated the environmental impact on the project, not only on the peninsula, but in other areas as well. From the beginning, one major concern was the route the train would take from the Central Valley into the Bay Area. We are now basically in two general transportation corridors. Uh, one is, we call them the Pacheco Pass, which is generally, again, uh, along the way of uh, Route 152 from Central Valley into San Jose. And another one is around the Altamonte 580 corridor. Each one has its own advantage. The Pacheco Pass advantage is that it's the quickest way getting to San Jose and the Silicon Valley. The Altamonte Pass uh, would be quicker for trips that are going from San Sacramento and Stockton into the Bay Area uh, than the Pacheco Pass. In the end, the Pacheco Pass was chosen over the Altamont Pass, partly because of its lessened environmental impact. The choice also makes San Jose a major transit hub, since all trains to San Francisco would have to go through it. And politics haven't been the new system's only hurdle. Imagine engineering a train to go more than 200 miles per hour. Normal trains in the United States are limited to a top speed of 79 miles per hour. Once you start to move at speeds approaching 200 miles per hour, simple physics becomes the enemy. The overhead wires, called the catenary system, is a good example. The power for the train itself, it comes from the uh, 25,000 uh, volt overhead wire system. And, and it's actually one of the more exotic parts of the technology. In effect, what you have is a collecting bar across the top of the train and a wire running along it. If you were to line those up, you've created a perfect saw. It would cut right through the top of the train, in effect, or the pantograph, they call it. What has to happen is that wire actually has to go back and forth at a very constant rate to keep the heat and the friction down, but it has to have perfect contact. Even if all of the technical and political issues are solved, that doesn't guarantee the success of high-speed rail in California. The easiest thing to do is to get between L.A. and the Bay Area. Biggest challenge in my mind is getting out of the L.A. basin. You're going to have to build a substantial tunnel system through natural gas fields, through seismically active areas. Uh, there's who knows what you're going to run into. And what about ridership? A multi-billion dollar project like this will need millions of passengers a year to keep it running. 
the technology's there, the right-of-way is basically there. Uh, the High Speed Rail Commission's done a pretty good job on the analysis. Um, I, I think the real big obstacle over the long term is, uh, is whether people are going to use the system. That will be determined in part by ticket fares, like the $55 fee being proposed for a one-way trip from San Francisco to L.A. And for commuters currently making the journey by air, how open are they to change? It may not just be a question of comfort. Considering that a single 747 ascending to cruising altitude uses enough fuel to power the average passenger car for a year, the clean efficiency of electrical energy may be a factor in and of itself. Add to that a CO2 emission savings of 185 pounds per person when traveling from San Francisco to LA by high-speed rail instead of flying. Such calculations aside, adopting high-speed rail would require a cultural shift. One of the things that I found when I went to the uh, United Kingdom to, to work on the high-speed rail project was that they considered the United States a developing country when it came to rail transportation. They said, you have not progressed your technology. We, the rest of the world has surpassed you in so many ways. That was a shock, but unfortunately, it's also true. We have not invested in a, in a device, in a system that we can use within the United States and with our technology. We're stuck about 100 years ago. But what some consider to be an investment, others consider to be an extravagant project the state simply can't afford. Whether this train will ever leave the station is now up to the voters. Keep Quest free. Discover more and donate at kqed.org slash quest.